0: Text show to three three seven seven seven.
1: Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, hour two.
0: Greetings, conversationalists. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the United States. The phone number, 877-973-7425, should you wish to be on the program. Delighted to have you with me. We got to talk about, uh, well, we all knew this was going to happen. We we all knew it was going to happen. Prophet is not welcome in his hometown and sometimes not on radio. Uh, I told y'all that with Donald Trump refusing to debate in the Republican primaries, Joe Biden would use that in the general election. And guess what? Um, It's becoming clear that Joe Biden has no intention of debating Donald Trump. Uh, Joe Biden was confronted by reporters last night on Donald Trump's offer to debate him, and he said, quote, if I were him, I would want to debate me too. He's got nothing else to do. This has been Biden's plan the whole time. Biden does not want to do a presidential debate. In fact, Joe Biden is sitting out the Super Bowl interview. Now, you and I can be thankful that Joe Biden is not willing to do the Super Bowl interview because it just politicizes A big sporting event where Americans tend to find common ground, unless you're a Taylor Swift conspiracy theorist. Joe Biden's not going to do it because it's an unscripted interview. He doesn't want to make a mistake. This is from a year ago. February 16th, 2023, Jonathan Martin. High-level Democrats are rallying to President Biden's re-election not because they think it's in the best interest of the country to have an 82-year-old start a second term, but because they fear the potential alternative, the nomination of Kamala Harris and the election of Donald Trump. Not that many of them will say it publicly, at least not directly. Quote, nobody wants to be the one to do something that would undermine the chances of a Democratic victory in 2024. Representative Dean Phillips explained to me, ironically, Phillips being one of those who's decided to run for president to challenge Joe Biden. Behind the scenes, though, other Democrats agree. There was the senator who said few Democrats in the chamber want Biden to run again, but the party has to devise an alignment of interest with the president to get him off the narcotic of the office. There's the governor who mused about just how little campaigning Biden would be able to do. There was the House member who, after saying that, of course, Democrats should renominate the president, told me to turn off my phone, then demanded to know who else was out there and said Harris wasn't an option. And now there's this, a year later, from yesterday, also from Politico, Over the past week, Joe Biden conducted a retaliatory strike against Iranian militants, stomped his way to a victory in the South Carolina Democratic primary, and saw a massive beat of expectations on a monthly jobs report. It was consequential several days, made all the more striking by the fact that Biden wasn't physically around for much of it. The president has kept a distance from the action, not addressing the nation on the strikes, not staying in South Carolina for his win and declining to participate in the semi-traditional Super Bowl interview this coming Sunday. The low-key approach is one the White House has adopted before, at times worrying some in his party who say it's critical that he sees any opportunity to counter criticism, that he's too old or disengaged for the job. The administration insists it is by design and that the concerns miss not just how much he interacts with the public, but the nuances of the job. That's especially true, they note, with respect to the airstrikes launched in response to the death of three Americans. Senior officials worry an Oval Office-style speech would signal the U.S. is at war. Really? Sure. Sure. Y'all, the president is going into hiding. But I'll tell you, the thinking from republicans and democrats alike it's it's not just the democrats it's the republicans too they say it's it's helped donald trump that donald trump being tied up in court this is the conventional wisdom is rapidly reaching this point that that donald trump by being tied up in court and not regularly on the campaign trail that's why he's gotten ahead of biden in the polls because people forget him and that Biden is overexposed and he's out there so much and, and he makes missteps, he makes, all oh, you know, he has a speech impediment and a stutter. They want people to forget the incompetencies and mental decline of the president of the United States, who is not in his right headspace. President Biden told a crowd in Las Vegas on Sunday he recently met with Francois Mitterrand, the French president who's been dead for nearly 30 years. Apparently, Nancy Reagan's psychic and séance guru is back in the White House. The comments came while Biden was warning of the dangers of a potential second Trump presidency as he aimed to shore up enthusiasm ahead of the Democratic primary in Nevada. Biden recounted a story he told many times during his presidency about a meeting he had with French president Emmanuel Macron during a G7 meeting in England some months after Biden took office I sat down and I said America's back and Mitterrand from Germany I mean from France looked at me and said well how long are you back for François Mitterrand was the president of France from 81 to 95 he died in 1996 Joe Biden, instead of talking about Macron, says Mitterrand. He's getting people confused. Now, listen, everybody does this. When you have kids, when you have kids, you do this. Particularly, my wife and I will sometimes call the kids the dog's name and call the dog the kids' names. And sometimes we've got a, a old oldest daughter is eighteen, our son is fifteen, and and we'll start to call them by each other's names, even though they're they're one's boy, one's girl. It, it its parents do it. It's dad brain, it's mom brain, it's also old person brain. Older people do this sort of thing, but older people tend to slow down and not decide to run for re-election as president of the United States when they're in their 80s, and there is a problem for Joe Biden. We talked about the NBC News poll yesterday on the program that has Donald Trump beating Joe Biden, and has Joe Biden beating Donald Trump if Donald Trump is convicted of crimes, but so barely that the pollsters say, we can't really believe this is true. If Trump is convicted of a crime, some of these people may actually still vote for him, but they're telling us they won't. We don't know that we believe him. In an era of massively divided government, in an era of massively divided populations within this country who are divided on every issue. Republicans like what Democrats hate. Democrats like what Republicans hate. Nobody agrees on anything in this country anymore. In a nation more divided than at any time in its history since the Civil War, Americans across all parties have agreed on one thing and one thing only. They all hate Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris's approval in this country, serial killers and syphilis are more popular across party lines. Democrats, Republicans, independents, moderates, progressives, conservatives, Americans are united against Kamala Harris. There is no group, no demographic, including racial demographic and gender demographic where Kamala Harris gets majority approval rating. That's how unpopular Kamala Harris is. Black women don't like her. White women don't like her. Black men don't like her. White men don't like her. Hispanic men and women don't like her. Old people don't like her. Young people don't like her. Democrats don't like her. Progressives don't like her. Republicans don't like her. Independents don't like her. Nobody likes her. And so when people go vote for Joe Biden for a second term, they know they're voting for the woman none of them like because he's not going to live. It's a high-pressure job. He's already had a brain aneurysm in the past. The man is not fit. People can see his decline. They're saving him. They're keeping him off the spotlight, off the stage. They don't want him to do interviews. They don't want him to go off the cuff. They know he rambles. They know he says crazy things. And so people are thinking, Kamala's going to be the president. And go, my God, I don't like her. At this point about the only thing Donald Trump needs to do to win win a second term is to pick someone that Americans can look at and say, well, thank God that person's not Kamala Harris. I need to ask you a question. I I, I just, a serious question here. Democrats tell us that Donald Trump is a real threat to the American republic and our democratic system. If that's so, why aren't Democrats acting like it's so? If Democrats really believe that Donald Trump is a threat to the American Republic, why are they keeping Joe Biden as the Democratic nominee, a man who's losing in almost every poll to Donald Trump, so much so that he's refusing already to debate Donald Trump and won't even do an interview before the Super Bowl lest he put his foot in his mouth? Why are Democrats propping up Kamala Harris as the vice president and vice presidential nominee when she's the most unpopular politician in America? She makes serial killers and syphilis look downright popular compared to how badly she polls. If Donald Trump is genuinely, truly a threat to the American republic, why are Democrats operating as if they don't believe it and they don't care? Maybe Donald Trump isn't the threat they claim he is. Because if Donald Trump were truly the threat the Democrats' claim he was, they wouldn't be nominating Joe Biden and they wouldn't be sending Kamala Harris back to be the vice presidential nominee. Joe Biden has gone into hiding. He had great economic news last week. He had foreign policy challenges and successes allegedly last week, although they weren't really that big a success. He's not spending time with the press. He's not on stage. He's not doing press conferences except ones that are highly guarded, highly restricted uh, restricted with, with questions screened in advance. They know he's in mental decline. They're trying to keep him out of the spotlight because of his mental decline. It's going to be very hard to do that with Donald Trump on the campaign trail. Donald Trump of today is not the Donald Trump of 2016. The problem for the Democrats is that the Joe Biden of today is not the Joe Biden of 2016. He's not even the Joe Biden of 2020. And while Trump undoubtedly at his age has also suffered some level of mental and physical decline because of his age, he's still way sharper than Joe Biden and he can still speak off the cuff. Democrats want to point out that Donald Trump confused Nancy Pelosi and and, um, Nikki Haley. Okay, that's fine. But at least they're still both alive. President Biden confused the living president of France with the dead president of France from two decades ago. Three decades ago. People see it. The Democrats are trying to highlight now all the goofy things Donald Trump says. Donald Trump, though, speaks off The cuff without a teleprompter. Joe Biden speaks off a teleprompter and still screws it up. And Donald Trump hasn't chosen his vice presidential nominee yet. Joe Biden is sticking with his deeply unpopular one. The Democrats, for all of their bellyaching and screaming that Donald Trump is a threat to the republic, they're not acting like he actually is. And they've sent Joe Biden back to the witness protection program. And that's not a way to campaign for reelection for president of the United States in the social media, always on 21st century. And I suspect a lot of them know it. And if he loses in November, there will be hell to pay on the Democratic side. It will be glorious to watch. Greetings. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, there is some encouraging news. Economically, globally, and that is that American industry is beginning to bet on India over China. A momentous shift, this is from Bloomberg News, is underway in global markets as investors pull billions of dollars from China's sputtering economy two decades after betting on the country as the world's biggest growth story. Much of that cash is now headed for India, with Wall Street giants like Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley endorsing the South Asian nation as the prime investment destination for the next decade. I am a massive, massive fan of India. It is a huge country with a diverse array of people from the port cities like Mumbai to Delhi and New Delhi and and its history as a a British capital in the empire to the northern reaches of India and and the Himalaya mountains. Uh, The food culture in India is incredible. The people are incredible. Amazing people, wonderful, warm hospitality. It is just an incredible place. It is an incredible place to visit. It is incredible uh, people to know. Uh, They're hardworking, they're industrious, and they could be our great allies against China. It is wonderful to actually see major American companies and financial uh, corporations deciding that they'd rather do business with India than China now good. The $62 billion hedge fund uh, Marshall Weiss has positioned India as its biggest net long bet after the U.S. and its flagship hedge fund. An arm of Zurich-based Vondabel Holdings AG has made the country its top emerging market holding. And Janice Henderson Group PLC is exploring funhouse acquisitions, even Japan's. Traditionally, conservative retail investors are embracing India and paring back exposure to China. Good. Good. India is a democracy. And its people are wonderful, wonderful people. China is a totalitarian communist regime. Never bet on communists. Bet on India, people. Bet on India. Now, let me tell you about Vision Computers. Vision Computers is a company you should bet on because they want to take care of you. and They've been around for so long. Jim, my board op, has done business with Vision Computers for over 15 years. Um, uh, they, uh, we've got a computer in our house from vision computers. My son's gaming PC. They built it for us. They service it. They answer his questions. I mean, if he's just got some asinine question, I don't even have to answer it. Vision computers takes care of it. It's fantastic. Uh, they can do this for your company as well. They can build you computers, uh, laptops and desktops, PCs for your office, and then all your employees who get the computers get a phone number if they ever got a question about email, about their printer, about how to do something or something doesn't work. Many cases, Vision can remote in and they can help businesses nationwide, not just in the Southeast, nationwide, they can help you. They save you money, they get you what you need and what you want, they make it upgradable, so you can have long-term relationship with them and they're gonna be around. VisionComputers.com or 404-Compute. If you call Vision Computers at 404-Compute, you tell them that I sent you you're going to get an even better deal. You won't see it at visioncomputers.com. You have to call them at 404-COMPUTE, tell them Eric sent you. You get a great deal. Y'all, seriously, any business, any individual in the United States can take advantage of this. Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425 should you wish to be on the program. My friend, Rob, who helps me with affiliates, teased me this morning. He, I sent him a text. He said he was boarding a plane to my favorite city. It's actually Philip's favorite city, but I really like going to Las Vegas myself. Um, Rob went to Las Vegas without us. It's okay. I'll be going. I've got a meeting I've got to go to, uh, the beginning of May. It's a donor meeting. Usually it's the beginning of March, but with the primaries playing out the way they are, they moved it to, to May and they asked me to come and I'm excited to go. And then I'm taking my family to Las Vegas at the end of May. I'm not a big gambler. I'll play at the craps table. I don't do blackjack. don't like the slots or roulette. Um, I, I The craps table, you're throwing dice. Uh, the odds aren't as terrible there as they are in so many other games in the casino. Um, I, what I really like about Las Vegas is the machine guns. If you ever want to go to Las Vegas and you're not a gambler, let me know. the The, the restaurants and the machine guns. I go into the desert. There's a company that I I do business with, and I go take my team out there and my friends to shoot guns in Vegas. I don't like to uh, have friends of mine pay their way out there in large part because I I know that uh, I've been very fortunate, very blessed. Uh, A lot of my friends make less than me, so I tend to cover everybody's costs when we go out there and we shoot machine guns, smoke cigars, go eat at great restaurants, play craps, and one of my favorite things to do is take a helicopter and land at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And the last time we were out there I took Charlie out there and they were completely sold out had had no availability to go to the Grand Canyon and I got to I got to take him back out there to do that. It's so cool. Vegas is also a place where you can get a sense of the economy in real time very quickly. I I want to I, I'm I'm ready to go. So my kid, I should explain though, why I'm taking my family to Las Vegas when when they don't gamble at all and I only play craps. It's the machine guns. My oldest told me when she and she told me this several years ago and she stuck to it, that when she graduated from high school, the trip she wanted was for me to take her to Las Vegas so she could shoot a machine gun. So we're and go to the Grand Canyon. So we're gonna, I'm taking both of my kids and my wife to Las Vegas at the end of May. Memorial Day week ends in my birthday on June 3rd, and we're going to hang out. Uh, we're going to shoot machine guns. We're going to go to the Grand Canyon. My wife and son want to go to the race car track where you can actually race like Lamborghinis and stuff. Um, I don't know that they're going to – I can't afford the Lamborghini, but uh, the Mustangs, which my kid wants, And then my son is a huge Mustang fan. I'm not buying him a Mustang, and I have to keep telling my wife he's not getting a Mustang dude got his learner's permit before Christmas and still hasn't even gone driving. Um, But he loved uh, Ford versus Ferrari and Carroll Shelby. And the Shelby Museum is out there. So he wants to go tour all the classic Mustangs. He's a big class. I was never a car guy. My son loves classic cars and architecture. Um, Those are his two passions. So we'll do that. It should be a fun family time. Uh, We'll stay at a great place. Uh, My kids are picky eaters. The hotel has lots of options. It should be good. The New York Times has a story today. Why are Americans weary while the economy is healthy? Look at Nevada. Tony Irizarry recognizes that the economy has improved compared with the first wave of the pandemic when Las Vegas went dark and joblessness shored to levels not seen since the Great Depression. These are days of relative normalcy. Ms. Irizarry, 64, oversees a cafe at the Orleans Hotel and Casino, a property just off the Las Vegas Strip that caters mostly to locals. Guests have returned, filling the blackjack and roulette tables amid the cacophony of jingling slot machines, the sound of money. She started in the hospitality industry busing tables when she was only 16. Her paychecks have allowed her to purchase a home, raise three children, and buy each of them their first car. But as she contemplates the future, she can't shake a sense of foreboding. The outlook of people like Ms. Irizarry could be crucial in determining who occupies the White House. Nevada is one of six battleground states that are likely to decide the outcome of November's presidential election. Its economic centerpiece, Las Vegas, was constructed on dreams of easy money. That proved a winning proposition for generations of working people yielding middle-class paychecks for bartenders, restaurant servers, casino dealers, and maids. Yet over the last two decades, a series of shocks have eroded confidence. First, a speculative bonanza in real estate went spectacularly wrong, turning the city into the epicenter of a national foreclosure crisis. That the fate of the 2024 presidential election could hinge on economic sentiment is widely taken as a giving among political operatives. It's a problem that there is a foreboding hovering over the economy. And the Democrats, like I mentioned yesterday, they they keep touting the macroeconomic picture of the country. The microeconomic picture in this country is still not good. In Nevada, the state's unemployment rate is down sharply. 5.4%, a fraction of the 31% logged right after COVID. Wages have grown, especially for the hospitality and, and leisure industry workers. The rate of inflation on a range of goods has slowed markedly, but those figures leave out key sources of distress playing out across the country. While prices for goods have stopped rising, they remain higher than before, especially for gasoline, groceries, and rent. Higher interest rates have increased credit card burdens for those carrying balances, They've multiplied mortgage payments for homeowners whose interest payments float with broader rates. Of special concern in Nevada is recognizing that potentially lucrative pursuits like advanced manufacturing could take years to produce significant numbers of jobs. But wait, there's more from CNBC Today. It was breaking news this morning. Credit card delinquency surged in 2023, indicating financial stress. Credit card delinquencies, according to CNBC, surged more than 50% in 2023 as total consumer debt swelled to $17.5 trillion, according to the New York Federal Reserve. Debt that has transitioned into serious delinquency or 90 days or more past due increased across multiple categories, but none more so than credit cards. With a total of $1.13 trillion in debt, credit card debt that moved into serious delinquency amounted to 6.4%. In the fourth quarter, a 59% jump from just over 4% at the end of 2022. The quarterly increase at an annualized pace was around 8.5%. Delinquencies also rose in mortgages, auto loans, and the other categories. Student loan delinquencies moved lower, as did home equity lines of credit. Overall, 1.42% of debt was 90 days or more past due, up from just over 1%. Credit card and auto loan transitions in delinquency are still rising above pre-pandemic levels. Household debt rose by $212 billion in the quarter, a 1.2% increase quarterly and about 3.6% from a year ago. Credit card debt jumped 14.5%. Auto debt climbed to $1.61 trillion, up $12 billion or 3.5%. If you subscribe to my substack, my daily email, you would have gotten these links today. You can see them for yourself. The numbers are disturbing. Text DATA to 33777. You can subscribe, get a 15% discount. The credit card delinquency is, is the canary in the coal mine. A lot of people put money on credit cards as prices went up to be able to buy the groceries and luxuries of life, and now they can't pay the credit cards back as the interest rates have gone up on them so high. This is a big red flag for things that are coming in the economy. And people have this intuitive sense. They have an intuitive sense that something is off. They feel it themselves, and and, and the prognosticators have been missing it. The Democrats have been missing it. A lot of Republicans have been missing it. Gen Z and millennials are not investing. Nearly two-thirds, 63% of young adults believe the stock market's a great place to build wealth and invest, but they're not participating. About half do not have enough savings to cover more than two months' worth of living expenses. My daughter, in her class, in her school, the final semester of their senior year at my kid's school, the school puts the kids through Dave Ramsey's program and essentially explaining to them how debt is bad. And the kids are pushing back on a lot of the stuff Dave Ramsey says about debt because they're starting to run the numbers about the cost of living and apartments and groceries and doing the budgeting, and they don't understand how they're going to be able to uh, build credit. Uh, They want credit. They hear that credit is good. They need a credit card to get credit. Ramsey is... Uh, there are, there are credit card programs out there tied into your bank account. So it operates as a credit card that allows you to build credit, but it comes out of your bank account. So you're not going in debt, but a lot of people don't want to do that. And I finally, I had to explain to my, my daughter the other night, she's like, why does Dave Ramsey tell you not to get credit at apartments? They sometimes will charge you more upfront with a greater security deposit. If you don't have a FICO score, if, if you don't have credit cards, if you haven't built credit, they're going to charge you more upfront. And I said, yes, yes, they are. The world seems to penalize you for living a good life without debt. But Dave Ramsey's point is this, that though they may charge you more upfront because you have not built credit, long-term, you're not paying interest on credit cards. You're going to save that money and then some. Interest rates are really high right now. Trying to explain this to the kids. I, I saw an Instagram meme the other day. Um, student, how do I fill out taxes, school, shut up and learn to square dance. I don't know that my kids have learned to square dance, but I'm glad they're learning the, the Ramsey program on, on how to live without debt, how to save, how to budget my family. We're, we still haven't done it yet. We just keep putting it off going through Dave's program ourselves. We've never done it. We got to build a budget, build a budget and stick to the budget and plan. I used to be good at it uh, and, and life just got in the way. And I got to get back to it. The family does. But it's, it's notable to me, and it's a red flag to me, that uh, my daughter and her generation are starting to raise issues about how is it possible to live without debt accumulation in this society? And the response is very precisely, if you can't live without debt, you're going to get more into debt than you can live with. And a lot of kids who've had it comfortable living with their parents and on their parents insurance are going to find that these burdens over time and parents, you would do a good job right now of getting your kids into something like Dave's program so that they understand precisely what they're getting into and how to budget and how to make ends meet. And no, you do not need the $2,000 a month apartment. You can settle somewhere further out of the city for less. And yes, you're going to commute. And yes, you're going to have, have to put gas in your car but your cost of living will be a whole lot cheaper. You don't have to live in the in-town, midtown area where rents are expensive and you get to walk everywhere with your friends and have a good time, but you're not setting any money aside. We're going to have to relearn all of this stuff. It's been a while since we've had interest rates as high as they are. And there are all sorts of red flags popping up. And you know what this is doing, too, with a lot of kids? It's driving them towards socialism. They are becoming convinced as are their parents that they will never have it as good as their parents. They will never get better than their parents in life. Therefore, we might as well do socialism and take from the rich and give to the poor and screw everything up. Only 11% of young workers have enough savings to cover the cost of living for more than a year if they had no income. 48% cannot cover more than two months worth of expenses. We're headed towards dangerous times. And here's the thing, the government doesn't seem to get it, but the people do. It's why Biden isn't polling so well. The macroeconomic picture of the United States is actually good right now, but the microeconomics, the household income picture is terrible. And that's shaping everything. And there are lots of red flags out there that we're headed towards a dangerous place in this country. If we don't get a handle on it soon. Our debt is rising, credit card debt is rising, people are dissatisfied, and they believe more and more that something bad is coming. And that soon becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy if people in Washington don't get a clue and turn things around. It's one of the reasons Swiss America is trying to help you save your hard-earned assets because they see what's coming too. With interest rates squeezing the economy, people going more and more into debt, the government trying to control how you spend money, Swiss America wants to help you protect your hard-earned assets now. That's why they want you to read their report, The War on Cash. Your copy's free by calling or texting 800-289-2646, 800-289-2646. The all-out war on cash includes digital forms of currency. It's spreading. All you got to do to get the secret war on cash report for free is mention my name, Eric Erickson, when you call or text 800 289 2646, that's 800-289-2646. You can also go to SwissAmerica.com slash Eric today, SwissAmerica.com slash E-R-I-C-K. Go there today. You can get this Secret War on Cash report from Swiss America. Get them in a conversation with them about protecting your assets. You can call and just give them my name, Eric Erickson, or text the number, 800-289-2646. Message and data rates may apply. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, 877-973-7425. Jeff, welcome to The Eric Erickson Show. How are you?
2: I'm doing wonderful. How about yourself, Eric?
0: Great. What's going on?
2: Uh, You are. I've I've, I've heard you often talk about uh, the terms unhoused versus homeless. And the distinction between the two uh, is... You know, every day at one point in the day, we're all unhoused. I'm unhoused right now because I'm out running errands. In a couple of minutes after this call, I'm going to step out of the car and I'll be uncarred. <laughs> well, uh, also at the moment, I'm currently unjobbed because I'm not working right now, but as soon as I get back to my desk, I will no longer be unjobbed. But I'm not jobless, I'm not homeless, but I am unhoused right now. Uh, what I would really like is to be untaxed. Yes. Uh, now I, I, <laughs> but, I,
0: I, I need to. I, I need to ask you though, Jeff. Are 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 you married?
2: Uh, I was. Uh, we recently divorced. We get along great. We just grew <laughs> apart, and uh-huh. I'm just very happily single well, right now. I, I, well,
0: then you definitely are on job. For those of us who are married, we we may be out and about having a good time, but we're we're still. We're still on the clock.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you, and um, I, I think the, the 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 effort of them is to normalize it, so they're just like you are, because uh, you're you're unhoused periodically as well. Yes. But here's the, here, here's the key: is when they go to the shelters at night, they're no longer unhoused. So I do feel better using that term, because it doesn't ride on my guilt as much now, knowing that.
0: There you go. Things
2: they are housed.
0: Yes, that that's a good point, Jeff. I gotta let you go there, but yeah, you know, once see that that that's good. Liberals change the word and you put them in a shelter. Suddenly, problem solved. Forget that they're going to be back on the streets tomorrow. It's how the liberal word games are used not to solve the situation, but to just make liberals feel better. Solving the white guilt problems. Mm-hmm.